0: If I'm selling brooms, I don't need to know the number of bristles you have, and know how fast it can sweep. The story I need to actually tell is what it's like to have a dirty floor and how terrible that is. If you start telling that story, you'll connect with people. So you need to start with their story, not, not the story of you. Hello,
1: and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. back to another episode of how to fail successfully. My name is Matthew Carrier. This is going to be part two of my sit down with Dom Cappuccelli. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I recommend stopping this episode and going to listen to it right now. In part two, Dom and I continue our conversation as he delves into some of life changing advice that he received that allowed him to alter his perspective on an otherwise dead end in his career. Dom also shares his four pillars of storytelling and how utilizing those pillars as a foundation in telling the journey of your business uh, can mean the difference between failing successfully and successfully failing. So let's jump right in. Here's the second part of my conversation with Dom Capachilli. Anytime I I get to an opportunity to, to meet somebody new, you know, someone like Dom has a bio sheet. And so I'm reading through, you know, some of his bio and it's like, you've done so much. You've been in the healthcare industry. Like you said, you were a reporter, author, screenwriter, and now you're running your own company.
0: Sounds tiring. (laughs) How do you do it all? No. um,
1: (laughs) But you know, one of the questions I, I, you know, I find interesting. You said that your therapist gave you the best business advice. And I'm I'm actually very curious. What was
0: that? Oh yeah, sure. So it's very applicable to what we've been talking about with failure. So when I was at Zocdoc, which is this billion dollar healthcare startup that I was working at, you know I, I was working on the local team, which means I was I was selling the platform, which is an appointment booking solution for doctors and for patients. And I was uh, selling on the local team where I was selling to individual doctors. and I was mm-hmm. up for promotion that had never happened transitioning from the local team to the enterprise team where we were selling to hospitals now it's an entirely different skill set almost everyone on the on that enterprise team you know had this big business background and they've been selling into healthcare for like 5 to 10 years and i knew the only way i was ever going to get on a team like that was if i transitioned internally so started kind of internally networking and speaking to people and and you know really making a push to get into enterprise sales, and I was able to be successful. And I was a very good rep on the local side, meaning I had always hit my quota. But ZocDoc was, was a bit of a crazy place at the time, because they had monthly quotas, and they were pretty difficult. There was 8% turnover monthly in the sales team, I think. And it's a huge number of the sales team, and most of it was because they weren't hitting the goals that were set out for them. So anyway, all this is to say, I've been given verbal guarantee on the promotion come January at the time. And so I knew, wow, I only have a couple more months on this local team. So I went through my territory and I sold everything I could. I put in a huge push and I had like these huge months. I think the quota was like five new doctors on the platform for your territory. And I had like three months in a row where I went like 13, 12 and 17. And I was like, this is beautiful. I'm going to ride off into the sunset and go on make a bunch of money in in the process before I transition the promotion because of some HR issue got delayed until February so I reached the end of December and I had to work for one more month in that territory and there was nothing left I had completely burned out the territory and you know we were 15 days into the month if you didn't get five closes you were going to put on performance review. And none of this was my fault, right? You know, if you look on the balance, even if I did none that month, I would have been one of the leaders at the organization. So anyway, we were 20 days in and I had two closes and I said, Oh God, because what I knew was if I went on performance review, the explanation wouldn't matter whether it was my fault or not. None of this, none of this would, would matter. You know, because I would lose this promotion, my career would go down the tubes, I wouldn't have this great opportunity, and all this terrible stuff would happen. So I was pissed. I was angry. Like I can't I can't explain to you how angry I was. I was showing up to work and I was just like doing anything I could. I was desperate. I was just so mad at how unfair this situation was. So we got like seven days left in the month and I happen to have a appointment with my therapist and I'm talking to him about it and like I'm just like so angry I'm almost in tears. And he stopped and he, he listened to the situation and he said to me, you know, you're right. He goes, this is completely unfair. And you got two choices. So choice number one is you can stay pissed off about how unfair it is and be angry. And either maybe and maybe that anger will help you get where you need to get and maybe it won't. But you can stay angry at how unfair this whole thing is in just the next week of your life or you know, if, it, if you don't end up getting the promotion, the next couple months of your life will be terrible. He said, or your other choice is you can accept that you might do everything right and fail, and it still might not be enough and you won't get the promotion and you'll get screwed over. And it's going to be a disappointment that you're going to have to live with, but you make room for that. You make room for the fact that you might do everything you can and still not get there. And that was kind of a watershed moment for me in my life, frankly, because as soon as I realized that, as soon as I let myself off the hook and I said, okay, well, I'm, I am doing everything I can, and this isn't fair. My entire demeanor changed because I accepted that failure could happen in this situation or that it might not, you know, it might not work out for me and I didn't have control over everything. And, you know, as soon as I did that, I changed. And, I just kind of went into work the next day. You know, I thought, okay, what's the best thing I can do? And I worked my way through that. And, you know, I ended up closing seven that month and then getting the promotion and we were we off to the races, you know, and I, and the world just kind of got out of my way there. But that's not really the moral of the story. <laughs> yes. I would have been okay had it not worked right. out yeah. as well, you know? And I think the moral is a, you're going to be a much happier person, right. but B, right. you're going to give yourself the best chance of success if you accept that you might do everything right and you might not get what you want. And I can't explain how important that lesson's been in my life, especially as an entrepreneur, because there's so many things that are out of your control as an entrepreneur. And there's so many ups and downs that you, you go through and you know, times when you're not bringing in the revenue you want to times when you you have a cold streak closing times when you know, you have a client who's just a huge pain. Or they're asking for a refund or something crazy, you know, like things that that you think are unfair that are happening to you and that you don't have control over. And in those moments, I always go back to that. I say, am I doing everything I can? Like you don't want to use it as an excuse to be lazy either. Right. And say nothing's in my control. But you're saying, am I doing everything that I possibly can within my power to be successful? And if the answer to that is yes, then I just let it go. And I keep doing those things. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. And I find that when you start to focus on the process piece rather than needing to close or needing to do whatever, you do your best work and you also are much happier. You know, that's that was a huge, huge lesson for me that I I think about every time. I mean, I'm not beyond it now. Like, don't get me wrong. When something's going poorly or I'm having a rough month or whatever, I kind of have to give myself that reminder after I go off the deep end for a couple of days and, and I'm pissed off about how things are going. But it was, it was a really, really important lesson for me to learn.
1: Yeah, Dom, we could just end it right there and I would be happy. That was, that was great. That was great advice. Let me ask you, in regards to if you talk to a entrepreneur,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a new entrepreneur, how would you help them shape their story to sell?
0: The story of their of the business that they have?
1: Of the business, yes.
0: Yeah, I mean the two the two main mistakes. It's probably easier to say what not to do because every yeah, because you know, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs who are new at this and a lot of entrepreneurs who are making a lot of mistakes with with their story. And when it comes to sales, right? Like you might you might be able to tell a good story that is captivating to people, but if you want to actually have that story lead to conversions, the mistake I see is that most people are really good at telling the story of their solution, right? Here's what my solution does. Here's what's great about it. Here's how it's going to help you. The, the problem is that no one cares about that. They don't care about your story or your solution. They care about themselves. So most people are telling the wrong story. You need to tell the story of the problem your product solves. Mm. And you need to tell the story of your prospect. So, you know, if I'm selling brooms, I don't need to know the number of bristles you have. You know how fast it can sweep. The story I need to actually tell is what it's like to have a dirty floor and how terrible that is you know so if you start telling that story you'll connect with people because it'll start resonating with them and they'll start understanding you know people will be able to self select when you tell that story well and say oh yeah that's happening to me maybe this person can help me so you need to start with their story not not the story of you that's a really really key piece.
1: You know, it's interesting, Dom, because I have a lot of personal questions I would love to ask you because I'm currently helping in a healthcare technology startup so but my audience is not the the right audience to listen to me ask you personal questions. So, but this is great because I actually 100% agree with you about storytelling. We're that's what we're doing. We're talking about what the problem is and how we're going to work with you to solve it, you know, and how we're going to help you you know free up time so you can do what's most important for you. So Yeah, it's
0: it's it's uh, it's really a matter of perspective. And then obviously once you get the perspective right, it's a matter of can you tell that story in a captivating way?
1: You know, what about your uh, career as a screenwriter? I'm actually intrigued by that as well. Yeah.
0: What do you want to know? Just why I was doing it or
1: Well, I mean, I know why you're doing it because you're an author, you like to tell a story, but you were out in LA, you did that. Did you stay in LA as a screenwriter? Did you keep writing?
0: Oh, so it was a very, it was a very interesting, that was one of those things where I really, that was finally the part where I knew. And, you know, I, I was having a little bit of success out there, you know, not much. Like I had a screenplay optioned, which, you know, you can option something in one hand, uh, you know, and a nickel in the other and still can't afford anything. And, you know, I had, I had a little bit of success going, but I was working for like this terrible human being. She was a writing agent and i realized you know i didn't really like LA wasn't really for me i'm from new york it's just a completely different culture and i knew that i was going to have to work for 10 years just to get a shot to then go live in a city that i didn't want to live in and i i went back to do a thing where i enjoy the end product of that yeah. thing but i don't enjoy the the day-to-day life of that thing and that was really the moment where i said okay you know it's time for me to do something new. Got it.
1: I ask every, all of my guests the same question. What is your definition of failure?
0: <sighs> Not learning from your past, I would say. I think the definition of failure for me is I keep making the same mistakes again. And I don't learn from those mistakes. Or I wouldn't even call them mistakes because like, I've taken a lot of different turns in my career. And each one of them has helped me. In other areas or like in my current job now, but if I wasn't paying attention to what the tea leaves were telling me or I didn't learn anything in those positions, I would have been in big trouble. So to me, failure is failing to learn from your mistakes and and synthesize those with whatever you do next.
1: Love it. How would you define
0: success? Oh, geez. Uh, The opposite. (laughs) Um, You can't cheat. That's (laughs) cheating. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me... I've always thought about this, you know, because I have like this weird thing where when I go to the gym, I like to listen to these mashups of Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about what success looks like or, you Uh, know, a bunch of other people. And it like, it gets me all jazzed up with like epic music. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, (laughs) it's like ridiculously epic music. So, like, I'll I'll go and, you know, for me, it like helps me run harder or whatever and just kind of disappear into it. But, you know, sometimes when I'm running, I, I would think about like, all right, what would I say in that situation? And, I always thought it was kind of a cop out that people said if you work hard enough, you can have anything. That's not true. You know, no matter how hard I worked, I was never gonna be in the NFL. Just genetics were in my way. But no matter how hard some people work, you know, they're not gonna be rocket scientists. You know, I don't buy into the idea that people don't have any limitations. But that to me is not a sad story. I think the greatest thing that you can do is If you really want something, chase that with everything you have. And you may not be successful at that thing, right? But the skills that you'll learn and perseverance that you'll learn and everything that you'll pick up, like the the confidence that you'll pick up and really working hard for something difficult or something that you want, that makes you successful. And you may not be successful at the thing you thought you were going to be successful at, but you will be successful at something and maybe it's you know whatever whatever your special gift is so to me success is all about going for something as hard as you possibly can and working hard at it and not being afraid not to make that you know i keep going back to what it isn't but you know staying in the same place is not successful to me you know settling so if you're really passionate about something go for it you might not succeed at that thing but you'll succeed at something and it might lead you to the next thing
1: are you successful?
0: Oh um, God. Well <laughs> depends on what day of the week you get me. Based on
1: your definition, are you successful?
0: Yes. I think so. I've had some lucky breaks. I had parents who always told me I could do it if I wanted to and and who supported me when I took a lot of different turns and you know, emotionally supported me anyway. And I always had a safe environment. A lot of people didn't have that. So I, I recognize the the gifts that I've had. But I've always been willing to go into the unknown when I felt like it was time for me to do so. And that to me is success. That means that I wasn't staying stagnant. I was going for the next thing. I
1: appreciate that. Well, for two years now, or almost three, two years now, you've been uh, CEO, owner of The Clean Cell, which helps entrepreneurs use the power of storytelling to transform their pitch into a closing machine.
0: I don't even want to talk about that now after the story <laughs> after we talk about.
1: let's no. talk about the clean sale <laughs>
0: all right, sure yeah, yeah,
1: tell us about that,
0: yeah, sure. So as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, when I was in my own sales career, you know my my background as a storyteller, I learned to kind of demystify what the components of a successful story were. And a lot of people who tell good stories don't know why they tell good stories. It's just a natural like pattern recognition thing they learn, and they've gotten there over time. But if you try to ask them why they're good at it, they have no idea. They just tell it. But I didn't have that luxury, especially when I was doing it for a living. You know, When I started my own sales career, I, I learned that I could teach other people, and I learned that they really needed to learn that in order to be successful. And as I grew in my career and started working with startup founders, uh, or you know, working in the startup world, I found that, you know, a lot of the founders that I was speaking to, you know, I had this fantasy that they all knew what they were doing uh, when it came to sales. There's nothing that I could teach them. It's this weird thing that I think maybe you can relate to this, but you know, when you become good at something and, and an expert at, it and you put in all that time, a lot of times it becomes self-evident, and you undervalue the experience that you have at that thing, and you think that everybody gets it, you know, and they don't because they didn't go through those 10,000 hours that you did. And I think there were things that I thought were self evident that every entrepreneur had figured out. And what I realized when I started speaking with a lot of them was that most of them were succeeding in spite of their sales effort, not because of it. And I knew that it was a lot easier for people to start a business now than it ever was. And there were so many more varied businesses at this time. And most people who start a business, they're these technical or subject matter experts. And they. And they spent 15 years becoming an expert in their field, like engineering or software development or whatever it is. And they saw a problem in the market and they wanted to build a product and a company around that, right? But much in the same way that being an engineer takes you 15 years to get great at, sales takes you 15 years to get great at. The only difference is I don't have to be responsible for engineering in my company. But most founders, especially at the early days the sales burden falls on their shoulders, whether they like it or not. So I noticed that this was a really big gap and I met with some founders, you know, I was just having kind of casual conversations with them. And I started to see big differences in their business just by doing some of the low hanging fruit things I was suggesting. You know, I remember one of my friends who ran a copywriting business. She had this big contract with, you know, a fortune 500 company. And she never had thought to ask for introductions to other departments of that fortune 500 company who might be able to use her. So she did that after meeting with me and she closed like a $120,000 contract three days later, because that's exactly what somebody needed. So once I did that, I said, wow, you know, I think there's a business here and I think I can help people in this area and I can make some money doing it and I can have a lot of fun. And it, it it's always been, it's been really, really cool. So, you know, I, I, what I've seen is there's a gap there and a lot of ideas that are great ideas are dying, not because they're not, viable in the market, but because they don't know how to grow their sales because it's not their core competency. So there's a couple of different options. Somebody can hire a VP of sales, yeah. uh, but that usually doesn't work out. They can't really outsource that to someone else. You really need to be the person as the founder who's out there selling and talking to customers. So I work with those companies that I work with to teach founders to actually build a sales process for them, but also give founders the confidence to, and guidance they need in order to actually be the ones who are selling and make sure that what they're doing is efficient and in line with best practices. That's really what I've been able to fill for the companies I work with. That's
1: great. Dom, what are those elements of a good story? You know, you talked about being able to kind of walk people through a story. Uh, Are there marks that you hit along the way to complete the story?
0: Oh, yeah. So Within any good story, there's a structure. I hate to ruin this for everybody, but if you watch movies, most movies have the exact same structure to them. Almost all of them do, and it's like once you notice it once, you, you can't look away. And that structure is, here's the situation. That's the kind of the first—there's four pieces to it. Here's the situation. Here's what's going on, right? So if you could take, like, Star Wars. In Star Wars, the droids escape with the plans. Luke is stuck on Tatooine uh, and— Darth Vader's not a great guy, right? So like that that's kind of the situation, the setup. And then the next piece is the stakes. So the stakes are here's what's going to happen if things either work out or don't work out. So in Star Wars, that's wow, you know, if Darth Vader catches Princess Leia and the droids, we're gonna have big, big problems, and there's so many bad things that will happen if the dark side takes over, right? So then in the middle of a movie, there's always a scene that is called the sea change scene. And within that scene, that's everything in the movie has been kind of going one way. And then a scene happens and it all starts going the other way. So in some movies, everything's been going terrible and then it starts going well. In other movies, everything's been going pretty well and then it starts going bad. So in Star Wars, that's like when Obi-Wan Kenobi dies. And you're like, oh wow, this is going really poorly. And then the next piece is a new plan. A glimmer of hope, I call it. So everything starts going so for the next like quarter of the movie everything starts going really poorly and then there's a glimmer of hope which is something that can help win the day for for whoever your heroes are. So in this case it's that they find a weakness in the Death Star in Star Wars, right? And then the final one is the solution. So that's where Luke blows up the Death Star. The reason I went through all that is because if I watch Star Wars right now and I'd never seen it before and I watch Luke blow up the Death Star I'm not going to care, right? Because I don't know any of the context. I don't know what was going on before. I haven't gone through the journey with Luke. So what I tell most of my clients is that almost all of them have Luke pull up the Death Star in the first five minutes of their movie. So you actually need to go back much further than that. So in a business pitch, the setup is – here are the pain points in which you're experiencing. Here are the things that you're, here's where you're at and the pain points that you're you're experiencing. The second piece of that is I'm going to tell you why those pain points are happening, right? And that's going to be the stakes. So I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Think about it like a doctor. You come to a doctor with five symptoms. You might have an idea of what's going on, but it's the doctor's job to say, hey, you have a runny nose, your throat's sore, and you have a headache. And They don't just say, here, take this medicine. What they do is they tell you that you have strep throat. But if they just tell you you have strep throat before you tell them any of their symptoms, you're going to be like, this doctor doesn't know anything. And a lot of times, that's what people start doing. So you really need to go through this progression. So the first thing is, what are their pain points? The second thing is, why are those pain points happening? What's the larger story? And then after you tell them the larger story, that's kind of that sea change moment where you're going to bring them to the point where like, if I don't fix this, We have a big problem. So what you need to do at that point is you say, well, if you want to fix it, here's the new way that you need to start approaching the problem. We are still not talking about your company or your solution yet, but you're talking about the principles behind why you built the company you built, kind of like your philosophy. And then the last piece is your solution. So here's one way in which we live the principles that we we talked about that are important to, to solve this problem. So that piece is such a small piece, the like solution and talking about you. The real narrative that you need to tell is the narrative of the problem. So here are the pain points that you're having. Yeah. Here's why you're having them. Here's how you need to think about them. Here's how you need to think differently if you want to get rid of them. Finally, here's one way that we're approaching getting rid of them. That four-piece structure is the same structure that you use in a movie but if you use it in a business, you're going to tell a story that's going to persuade somebody to work with you. So those are the four pillars.
1: Dom, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today and for taking the time to share your story and offer some advice to uh, the entrepreneurs out there. Uh, where can people find you?
0: So if anybody wants to reach me, you can go directly to my website. So it's thecleancell.com. So that's S E L L.com. Or you can email me at dom at the clean And then uh, I actually put up knowing I was going to be on the podcast. There's a banner that will be up there for a few days on my site that is access to a seven pitch structure worksheet. That is the exact thing that I use with clients when I'm building like their discovery calls and their sales pitches. So if anybody wants to hop on that, they should reach out in the next couple of days.
1: Perfect. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time again and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Matt. Well, That concludes part two of my interview with Dom Cappuccelli. That episode was full of information. I loved it. His mentality on success and failure and and the importance of one story, something that I value, uh, I completely relate to. You know, who are we really without the stories that we tell each other? Finding a way to properly communicate your story is an important tool in both your business and your personal lives. So I hope that you enjoyed this. Now, we are trying this new format Please let me know what you think. Uh, did you like it? Did you hate it? You know, the part one, the part two of these, of these episodes. Send me a message. Let me know. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Fail Successfully or on Twitter and Facebook at HTF Successfully. And if you've been a fan of the podcast or if you enjoyed this episode, please go right now and leave a review on iTunes. I'll see you next week.